0: Obviously I'm not Pastor Noe, so hi if um, I haven't met you, my name's Granger. I'm the college pastor here and um, Pastor Noe's given me the opportunity to um, open up God's word this morning and let me just say this I hope that um uh, we recognize how blessed we are as a church to have Pastor Noe here. And I say that because as I was diving into this text and diving into these passages, these are some of the most complicated things in the world. But he gets up here Sunday after Sunday and just preaches it like it's a breeze. And so um, we're just very, very honored to sit under his teaching. And so I will do my best. Um, But he will be back with us next week and um, leading up into Easter and setting the stage for that. But a little bit about me. Pastor Noe and I actually met in Arkansas. So I grew up, was born and raised in Arkansas, um, but that's not where I started out my college time in my college career. I did end up going to college at Arkansas, which is where I came about Pastor Noe and being a college pastor and getting involved in his college ministry, where he began to disciple me, and here I am today. But my college journey started, I actually, my life goal um, as most, students or kids growing up playing sports was I wanted to play college football, right? I wanted to get, and I had one goal. I just wanted to go D1. And um, man, I was working so hard for it, and that was just my one goal in life. And so actually out of high school, I got the opportunity to go play um, football for Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, and um, which is really cool. Actually, a few um, months ago, Pastor Noe had the opportunity to speak there, and so it was kind of a, a whole surreal moment for me. But as I was there, and, and just, man, living out this dream, and getting to, to play college sports, and enjoy this, this life that I so desired, um, I got a phone call. And I got a phone call. Um, it's one of those calls that you get that you just never think will come your way, um, you hear about them maybe in other people's lives, but I just never thought I would ever receive that kind of call, and um, I remember it plain as can be. It was, it was a call from my dad, and immediately, right away, I answer the phone, and I can tell something's wrong, something's up, and I can hear just this, this tremble in my dad's voice, and, and I'm like, hey, like what's, what's going on? What is it? And um, I'm one of five. Uh, I have four other siblings. And on that phone call, he began to tell me um, that my youngest brother, who was eight years old at the time, had just been diagnosed with stage four cancer. And it's in that moment that you're just speechless. Oftentimes because you hear about cancer and adults and all that sort of stuff, but a young child, eight years old, going through this and battling through it and and I would just tell you that's very real. You don't really understand that until you step into that world and you see how that is prevalent and um, there are hospitals full of it. And um, so we get that phone call and, and immediately the way my family works, the way they are, we're like, Man, we're, it's okay, we're gonna, str- we're gonna stand together and we're gonna fight this. And I had a decision in that moment, like what do I do? Do um, so I continue to play football and risk not having what could be the last two to three months with my brother of his life? Or do I give up that dream of playing football and go home and be with my brother? And without a, without a second thought in the world, I immediately, I packed my things and I was in my truck and on my way home um, the next morning. And so we began to go on this journey together of just tackling this cancer. And we began battles. My brother went through surgery after surgery and procedures where... He literally, no one could even go in the room with him. And if they had to go in the room, they had to have full hazmat suits on. And he's just an eight-year-old little boy going through this and I'm just watching all of it. But there's one thing that, this one moment in it that, that I'll just never forget. And it's a moment where we're about to go into a surgery and we'd been informed that this surgery was gonna last about eight hours. So we um, we're ready to go. We showed up to the hospital, and we were sitting in the hospital in the waiting room. And the surgery began, and we were feeling really confident because we had some of the best doctors in the country who were going to perform this surgery, and they were they were ready to take it on. And the goal of the surgery was they were going to scrape the cancer off of all of his intestines. He basically, when they did the scans, he lit up from head to toe. And so their goal was they were going to go in and scrape it all off, and they said it should take him about eight hours. So we're sitting there, and we're hanging out as a family, and as we get in there, and we're hanging out, hour goes by, hour goes by, we hadn't really heard any updates, and um, we're starting to, you know, wonder, and trying to figure out what's going on, Um, and then about six hours into this surgery, the doctor comes out, and you could just tell he had this look where he was just defeated. He was exhausted, and he comes out, and he's like, hey, sorry, I haven't given you an update, like, like. Things aren't going as we expected. I said like we are in there and we're, we're sca- scraping away the cancer, but it's like we're using every ounce of our strength to try and pull it off. He's like, we, it's almost like we're having to have a chisel and chisel it off of his intestines, obviously while being careful not to make any mistakes, nick anything or do anything. And they're like, so we don't know what this is going to look like. Um, we're, we're just going to kind of keep going at it. And, um, he kinda, kinda and he was almost kind of speechless. And he's like, but I just want to let you know where we're at. And it was in that moment as a family that we were just hit with this presence of desperation. Like, what, what do we do? Like, we were in the place where we thought we had the best doctors possible. And it just seemed so out of our control. And, and thank God that, that my family um, had surrendered to God. And we were all believers because we knew in that moment that, okay, God, You have to be a provider. Like, we have to see you step in, God. We need your provision. And we're just in this moment that we're so desperate for God to step in and provide and do something. And I don't know if you've ever been there. If you've ever had one of those moments in your life. It may look different. But where you're just crying out to God in this desperate plea for his provision. Because that's what we're going to talk about today as we dive into this feast. As we dive into Leviticus and Leviticus 23 and talking about the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks is based upon the Israelites and they're seeking out the provision of God. They're celebrating the provision of God. And so as we dive in today, I want to open it up and then I want to try my best to unpack it. So if you have your Bibles, pull out Leviticus 23, 15 through 22. Bear with me as I read through this. As you read Leviticus it's kind of like one of those tax documents, or maybe even better yet, if you've ever bought a house and you go to sign the papers and there's all this wording in the contracts and you're like, I have no clue what any of this is saying, but I feel like it's really important. Okay, I'll just sign the dotted line. That's kind of what I feel like when I start reading through Leviticus. I'm like, well, I know this all means something, but how do we understand it? So that's our goal today. Um, so pray for me. Um, but it says Leviticus 23:15. It says, from the day after the Sabbath... The day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two tenths of an ephah of the finest flour, baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present with this the bread, seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one young bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering and two lambs, each a year old for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering together with the bread of the first fruits. They are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. On the same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Now we dive into that. That's a lot. So I'm going to do my best to to open that up and break it down. And I promise I'll have you out of here by dinner. And uh, thanks. I'm Kidding. (laughs) Kidding. We got a time limit. I'm going to get y'all out of here by lunchtime and things will be good. But what is the Feast of Weeks? What is going on there? What is all of that saying? And what does that look like? So the Feast of Weeks is also known as Shavuot. Shavuot is, it marks the conclusion of the counting of seven weeks. It says 50 days after the seventh Sabbath. So hear me out. So just a reminder, we are going backwards in the feast leading up to Easter. So you have the Passover, the first fruits, and the Feast of Weeks. We're headed backwards towards Easter. So the Passover and the first fruits has already happened, and now here we are at the Feast of Weeks. So when you read verse 15, it says, From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. So the first fruits, the day after that, now count seven full weeks. Count off 50 days after the seventh Sabbath. And then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. So I did grow up in Arkansas. And I know you're thinking, oh, this is great for you. You're a farmer. Um, I wasn't that kind of farm guy. Like, we had some cows and some horses growing up. But we didn't do the whole grains and crops. So I didn't have really a clue what this was talking about. So I had to dive into it a little bit. But during this time, the grain there was a harvest of grain. um, Multiple kinds of grains. But it lasted seven weeks. The beginning of that harvest was the harvest of barley, which took place at Passover, which that is the first fruits. That's what it's going to talk about. Pastor Noah's going to talk more about that next week. Then you have the end of the seven weeks, which is the first fruits of the harvest of wheat. So it's the seven-week time span where there's all this harvesting going on, and then they're celebrating this um, giving of the first fruits. They're giving and celebrating God's faithfulness to his harvest. Why do they do this? So God calls them to throw a feast in celebration and it's really, it's celebrating the harvest that God has provided, that God, it's reminding them that, hey, I am God, your provider. The harvest, the crops that they are celebrating, that they've been enjoying, that they've now brought in, they harvested, meaning they went, they picked their crops, they're coming back, These are crops that were grown on the land that God has promised them. So this is the people, the Israelite people who escaped slavery and bondage, have now traveled through the wilderness, are finally in the promised land. And so they're reaping a harvest from the land that God has provided. So God is like, hey, don't forget. I want you to celebrate the harvest and celebrate that I am your provider, that I have provided this for you just as I had promised. And you would think, What do they really need to be provided that? Like they're now living in the promised land. Like you think that should be simple, Um, but it's not. Right now, currently, I have two little girls, and I've I've learned that it's really hard to explain how you have a kid, how your wife is pregnant, and your second kid is in mom's belly. Like just in general. So, anyways, I have two kids. One, she will turn two years old in May. Her name is Sedona. And then my second little girl coming her name is selah she will be here in may as well so anyways my first little girl she's about to turn two and she is a blast she's so much fun and i love the age she's at right now because she's really starting to understand her words she's really starting to get them figured out and it's a beautiful thing because if you've had kids you understand up until this point she's crying she's fussing i ain't got a clue what's going on like i'm just sitting out here so confused like are you hungry? Are you tired? Are you thirsty? And like, obviously you more experienced moms, like you start to get it and you know, like you look at them and like, oh yeah, they need that. And like, they haven't even said anything. Or, yeah, I just know. And so, but us, us dads, we're not there yet, okay? And so you're just trying to figure it out. And so I'm loving this phase now because when she starts to need something, she can just communicate it. She can use her words and tell me. Well, her favorite thing to communicate right now is snack. And so she'll look at me all the time and she'll just be like, snack snack? And I'm like, of course, babe. Like, let's go get a snack. What would you like? And so we go. But it's funny, because if I am not quick on my feet or dropping whatever I'm doing, like, it, it gets crazy. Because, like, you would think that this girl had not eaten in weeks or months, like, has gone without meals, if I don't immediately stop what I'm doing to go get her a snack. Because it's like, snack? And I'm like, okay, yeah, give me a second. Snack, 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 snack. And I'm like, hey, like. hey, I've got you. You've never gone hungry. You've always had the snack that you've wanted. Like, give me a second. And it's like, I have to remind her that, hey, do you remember the last time I got you a snack? Do you remember the last time I provided you a meal with dinner or breakfast or more importantly, your mom did? But anyways, we're a team and we're parents. So we're in it together. But do you remember that we've provided for you? Like, you don't have to freak out. And and it's the same thing that Israel does, the Israelites do. And this is why I think God's reminding them like, hey, don't forget me as your provider. Because if you look all throughout the history of the Israelites, they get out there and God has freed them from this bondage of slavery. They were in bondage and slavery to Pharaoh. God calls Moses to free his people, to let his people go. Oh, baby, baby, you know the song. So he lets them go. They free them. And now they're wandering through the wilderness. They're wandering through the desert. And throughout this whole journey, God is just seen as their provider and their provision. But they immediately forget, just like a child does, and they start to freak out. God departs the Red Sea. They walk through it. He demolishes the armies after them. And then immediately they're like, where are we going to get food? And so he rains it down from heaven. And they're immediately like, well, what about this? And then he, God just provides and provides and provides. But they're so quick to forget. And eventually God is just reminding them, he's saying, hey, like do not forget me as your provider. I've provided for you every step of the way. And so as you go into this feast of weeks, I want you to remember that the crop you're experiencing, this is from the promise, you're living out the promise of the land that I have promised you, that it'd be bountiful, that it would be fruits. And so celebrate this as you go in. But not only did he provide that for them, As he was doing it, there's actually two major events that take place historically during this time, the Feast of Weeks, um, which is also, again, Feast of Shavuot, which means weeks. So it's pretty self-explanatory there. Um, But this is actually a feast that you'll hear kind of called several different things as you dive into it. So God's reminding them, hey, I'm your provider. But at the same time, they are also not just celebrating the harvest but they're celebrating that it was at this point in time that God gave them the Ten Commandments in Mount Sinai. And so they're celebrating as they're coming together, they're having this feast, they're celebrating not just the harvest that he's provided, but also his provision of the 10 commandments for them, a way to live. Because up until this point, they had no identity as a nation. They were out wandering in the wilderness. And so they're just trying to figure it out. And so God says, hey, I will establish my commandments for you. So you'll be established as a nation. You will have rule and law, but also so you can live a holy and pleasing life. One that will not as just for your good. I'm not just giving you these rules um, just to put rules on you, but it's so that you can have a holy life, so that you don't have to walk in this bondage. You don't have to deal with hurt and pain. Like, if you will just follow these rules, your life will be better, because you will be honoring to others. You will be more holy, and so he gives them these Ten Commandments. But can you imagine the struggle of this for them? They're having, they have these Ten Commandments, and at the same time they know it's good for them, but at the same time, they're always falling short. Like they're carrying this guilt of, okay, we have these Ten Commandments, but for them, and God has provided this for them, but I never meet the standard. I never can, I'm struggling to live up to it. I'm stealing and I'm wanting and I'm doing all these things that I shouldn't be doing. And So they're having to wait for this day of atonement, for God to wipe their sins clean, for their sins to be clean so they can be before God again, who's their provider, who's this holy God who wants a relationship with them. And so there's this, this tension and this struggle for them. But at the same time, it's a celebration because they're celebrating who God is and the way he's provided for them, the way he's established them and the way he's given this holy land. And so I want us to see the kind of that tension there. But I want to continue breaking down this feast and what it looks like as they're coming together and celebrating it. So verse 17, it says, from wherever you live. I think that's important to stop and note because in Exodus 23, and and hear me out as as we kind of get into the information chunks of it. In Exodus 23, God says that there's three feasts that you must, all the men must return to me. You must come back to me and set in my presence. And so there's three major feasts and this is a part of it. So in verse 17, it's repeating what was said in Exodus, where it says from wherever you live, meaning this is one of those times where, hey, you've got to come back to Jerusalem, you've got to come back to Jesus, um, or come back to God, in order to to celebrate this feast. So it says, bring two loaves, made of two tenths of an ephah, of the finest flour, baked with yeast. And so if you have your Bible, um, go ahead, if you're taking notes or anything like that, I want you to underline or circle that, because that's Really important there, because if you jump back into Exodus 23, like I said, after the verse of God telling them to return and come back, God also declares, hey, don't have any feast, don't make any offerings with yeast in it. But then here he is, he's saying, no, come with a yeast offering. Bake it with yeast. And so, so what is God doing there and what, what is he saying? And again, what I want you to try to remember is this is going in reverse, right? So we are leading back to it. But before this would have been the Passover, um, the feast of the Passover, or what is known as unleavened bread. And Jesus, when he comes, he describes leaven as teaching. As he says, he warns, as he's out teaching, he warns, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, right? And Matthew, he says, beware of them. So beware of the teaching of the Pharisees. So this leaven means this teaching, this standard, this rule. And so, as you have this Passover, you have this unle- the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which Pastor Noe again will break down in-, in the sermons to come, where they have to go weeks without any leaven in their bread, meaning it's just a stale cracker. And then we have now, they're making this offering, 50 days later, of an offering with yeast in it. So it's more like a pita bread. So what does that even mean? what it means is it's signifying what God is doing. All of this is leading up to and pointing to the coming of Jesus. Because Jesus in this moment, Jesus is going to come and he's gonna come at the Passover where he says that I haven't come to destroy the law, but I've come to fulfill it because he is the perfect fulfillment of the law. So the Israelite people, while they couldn't live up to it, while they couldn't fill the standard of the law, Jesus comes at the Passover and fulfills that. He's the walking fulfillment of God's law. And now we have 50 days later, they're celebrating that and we're going into the feast of where we're at. So Jesus has fulfilled the law. He's fulfilled the Old Testament, but yet they're still celebrating it. And this is why in this feast, he says, no, no, no. What I want you to do is come with a yeast of wheat, to come with yeast in it, to to bring it about. And so what that's saying is that if there's this new leaven, I want you to put on a new leaven As you go into this feast. Because you're putting off the old leaven. At the Passover, Jesus, he put off the old letter. When he died, he fulfilled the law. So now you're no longer being held to the law, but I want you to put on a new leaven, a new rule, a new teaching, a new way to live. What's interesting is I said there's two historical facts, if you can remember. The first was this Old Testament, this Mount Sinai moment. The second... Is to come. It's interesting because if you dive into this text, it says that 50 days after the seventh, um, the seventh Sabbath. Well, 50 is also known as the word Pentecost. So what they are doing in this moment, they're celebrating the Old Testament. They're celebrating these things, but they're celebrating it on the 50th day, the day of Pentecost. And so Jesus is, it's this picture, if you can see it here, it's this moment where Jesus has died, he's fulfilled the law of the Passover, the Old Testament, what they're about to celebrate, and then comes 50 days later, after the death of Christ, this day of Pentecost. And so they're celebrating the old leaven and Jesus, or the scripture here is saying, no, no, don't celebrate that anymore, but I want you to put on a new one. So what I want to do is I want to dive into what is significant about the day of Pentecost. Because if you don't know, the day of Pentecost is the day that God brought down the Holy Spirit for us. And so we jump over to Acts 2, 1-6. through It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Do you see how the way that God orchestrated this? He brought all of them together for the Feast of Weeks. They had all come back together to celebrate this feast on the day of Pentecost. And so it says they're all together in one place. And then it says, Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. As the Spirit enabled them, now... Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken to them. So, so what is the significance here? If you look at and you go back, there's so much correlation between the day that God brought down the Ten Commandments and then the day of Pentecost on those same days, they're celebrating this feast. And can you imagine? It's like they're telling the story of, man, we're celebrating the feast. We're thanking God for his harvest. We're thanking God that he gave us. He established us as his nation. He brought us the Ten Commandments. But that was a day. If you go back to Exodus and read about it, it says that there was thunder and lightning. Some scholars say that It was a um, full sensual experience that like you tasted it, you could feel it, you could hear it, and you could smell it, and you could see it. Like all of your senses were activated at the day that God brought down the Ten Commandments. It says that the thunder was roaring, that lightnings, that there's a cloud that just covered the mountain and that the whole earth trembled, that the whole mountain just began to tremble. So all of the Israelites in that moment are just, oh my gosh. God is establishing us. They would talk about it from time and time again. I remember one of those moments for me. Um, it was when I was in college. The University of Arkansas has struggled in sports historically um, lately. We're getting better, but it hasn't always been great. Um, but while I was in college, I remember uh, going to a football game. And like I said, we weren't great, but you know, we, we pulled it together every now and then. And I remember we were playing LSU and they were number one at the time. We were playing them at home. And all of a sudden, something came through the air of Fayetteville, Arkansas. And the winds began to shift and we started to win. And you could just feel it in the place. Like the student section just started, I was a college student, some of the student it just started like kind of bob a little bit. And if you've ever been on a team that just like desperately needs a win, like all of a sudden, that front rail started to shake. The time was taken down. And immediately, like The hogs won. We stormed the field. It was an epic day. The goalposts were getting torn down. They were taking it down the local streets. Like you could, we were all shoved in there together. I was like, I'm going, I'm running past the little security guards. I repented of that. It's okay. But I did. Everybody else was doing it. And like, we're all on the field. We're jumping up and down. Like, you know, we're in that culture. So a selfie, I'm here, I'm down here. You know, you're showing everybody. And that's similar, probably, maybe, that's my best analogy to relate it to, of what they were experiencing And how one day I'm going to tell my kids of that story. Oh, yeah, I was at that game. I was on the field. Look at my selfie. I'm going to tell them of that. The same way as they're celebrating this feast, they're telling about, man, God gave us these Ten Commandments. He brought these down for us and man the the grounds were shaking it was crazy like could you have seen it and so as they've heard these stories as they've been celebrating this now Jesus has come in the Passover he's fulfilled the law and here they are on the day of Pentecost and what's it say it says that it begins to thunder that the voices came like the sounds of roaring thunder and that it just began to have these similarities to where they're like oh my gosh what it says is that, I mean, is that they would come, that the, the events had similar sounds and symbols such as wind, fire, smoke, and even voices. The Hebrew word translated thunder in Exodus 2018 as quilot, and it means voices or language. So this same experience that they experienced then, they're now 50 days later on the day of Pentecost experiencing God's provision of the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean for us? Why is this important? And as the band comes up and we begin to wrap up, what is so important about it is because there, he's given a the command. He's given the priest the command to wave this new bread, this new leaven. It's a new way, and we're declaring that. And I'm waving it before the Lord. And at that very time, on that very moment of Pentecost, God is saying, No, no, no you no longer have to live, put off the old leaven, put off those Old Testaments and now because Jesus has died on the cross, you are to live in a new leaven, present a new bread offering, which is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's picturing this correlation of, listen, for so long they had been trying to do and to earn their way towards God. They've been trying to fulfill these laws and never meeting it. They were so desperate to, to be, live a holy, pleasing life, but just couldn't fulfill it. And yet God has said, hey, that's why I sent my son. In the same way that God freed them from the bondage of slavery, he has sent his son Jesus to free us from the bondage of sin. But he doesn't stop there because that's how good God is. In the same way that they celebrated the Ten Commandments, that he gave them an identity and here's how you live and let me establish you as a child of God. He then, after the death of Christ, 50 days later, sends us the Holy Spirit. to says, hey, my son paid the penalty on the cross for you. He fulfilled the law for you. Now live as a new creation, but I'm not going to leave you alone. You don't have to figure it out on your own. You don't have to try to earn this on your own. But instead, I'm going to bring the Holy Spirit. He will be a teacher. He will be your provision. It's funny because Jesus says, I'm sending you a teacher. And leaven represents teaching. So they're waving this saying that, I mean, there's there's a new way. Because of Jesus on the cross, now through the power of the Holy Spirit, we no longer have to depend on ourselves. We no longer have to have that and carry that guilt and shame because we can't meet the standard because Jesus has paid the penalty for that. And now, not by our own strength, but through the strength of the Holy Spirit. When we don't feel like we're enough, when we don't know how to battle it, how to beat it, He is there. See, going back to my brother, in that moment, we were just desperate. We were desperate for a move of God, and I remember we just began to pray and just call out to God and just ask God that He would just please do something. We desperately needed His provision. And it was about an hour later, the doctor comes out, and you could just tell he was just shocked. There' was just a, a puzzled look on his face. and he goes. So I just wanted to update you. I don't really know how to explain it. And it's, it's, let me back up because this is very important. The doctor actually wasn't a believer. He wasn't a Christian. And then just goes to show what I'm about to say next, the intentionality of God, who is the way that he will show you that, hey, I am your provider. This doctor who wasn't a Christian comes out and says, hey, I don't really know how to explain it, but it's as if the waters had parted. He says, the cancer just started sliding off like butter. We'll be wrapping up in about an hour. Everything's good to go. And it makes me emotional because we didn't deserve it. We're no different than every other family out there with a kid who's struggling to battle cancer. And so it's just out of the goodness and the grace of God that he stepped in as our provider. So I don't know where you're at in here today, but listen, God has not called you as a child of God to do this on your own. And maybe you're in this moment right now where you just desperately need the provision of God. Maybe you're having this moment of, man, you're just struggling. Maybe depression has just got its teeth and its grips in you, and you've tried everything in your own strength to break it. Maybe it's anxiety, and you just are struggling to function. I don't know where it is in your life. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's just a sin struggle that you are just trying to break, but you continue to fall short. Listen, God has given a new leaven. There's a new way that it's no longer based on your strength. He simply says, just call on the name of the Lord. That's why he empowered us and he gave us the Holy Spirit. It amazes me because scripture says the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. The issue is too often as believers, we don't reach out and grab access to it don't call upon the name of the Lord and invite him into our situation and so I don't know where you're at but with every head bowed and every eye closed maybe there's someone in here today where you're just still stuck in that bondage you're still stuck trying to do it on your own, trying to figure it out on your own. And today you just simply need to call upon the name of the Lord. You need to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit to surrender control over Him and ask that God's Spirit would just fill you, that it would strengthen you, that it would guide you, that it would fill you with peace. And you would lean into God's provision for your life. But maybe you're in here today and you're just still stuck in the bondage of slavery to your sin. You don't have access to that Holy Spirit because you've never made the decision to accept Christ and to become a child of God today the only thing that you need to accept is the grace of God that yes there is this old rule there are the new testaments and no you on your own cannot live up to them you can't be good enough and you can't be perfect enough but the word of God says that yet while we were still sinners Christ died for us that he came to fulfill the law to do what we couldn't do so that we could have access to God that we could have a relationship with him so, if that's you today, maybe today is the day for the very first time you just need to start by surrendering your life over to Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and if that's you, I just would you just raise your hand? May today be the day that you just completely surrender it all. My prayer is that if that's you, man, that you'd come talk to one of the pastors that are gonna be down front as we go into this next song. But for the rest of us, maybe you just need to step into this moment of leaning into the power of the Holy Spirit, of surrendering back over to Christ. You need to stop going back to this old way, to this old leaven of trying to do it in your own strength. And you need to just depend fully on Christ prayers that today you would do that so i'm going to pray for us and then we're going to go to this next song and our, our pastor's and staff will be up front so father we just thank you god i thank you that you are a god of provision god that in our weakness and our humanity god you step in and you provided your son But you didn't just stop there, God. You provided us with the Holy Spirit and you provided us with access to you so that we don't have to do it in our own strength, God, but we can lean into you and to your power. So God, I pray today that you would give us the strength and the ability to do so. We offer this over to you.